tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, we're super excited to have him with us for the first time. His website is dechained.com. I'm going to tell you how to spell that. So it's the letter D and then chained. Dot com. And we'll mention that a few more times uh, in this uh, episode. We'll also put it in the episode description, dchained.com, the letter D, the word chained.com. And uh, Edmund McCormick, good to have you with us, sir. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. And uh, I have to tell you, you're... Uh, Publicity people uh, are tenacious, and uh, they contacted me a couple of months ago. <laughs> we're asking, you know, about having you on the show, and I get so many requests from people to be on the show. And I love having like new people on the show; I really do. But sometimes it's just so hard, like, to filter out, uh, you know, who I want to have on and trust my audience to, and all that kind of thing. And I uh, did some checking, and and we're happy to have you with us. Your site looks terrific. I listened to a number of other interviews you did. Uh, and by the way, is it okay if I? I call you Ed. I I heard on a number of the interviews you Please. go by Ed. Is that right? Edmund is my mother's name. So please. Okay, very good. Uh, so so Ed, you're a tech guy. In one of the interviews I listened to, I, I love the way that you talked about your entrance into cryptocurrency about like 10 years ago uh, and how you uh, are out on the West Coast with all the, you know, Silicon Valley guys. And they're all excited about this cryptocurrency idea. And it was all within the context of the Internet has changed so many different things, but yet it hadn't changed money yet. Uh, pick pick up the ball there and explain that like you did in that interview I listened to, because I'd never heard anybody really explain it like that, because so many people wonder why cryptocurrency is necessary and what you know niche it really does fill uh, for the future of the Internet in particular. Yeah, and, you know, if you think about... You know, since the Internet has really revolutionized the way that we communicate, do business, you know, watch videos online, there's a lot of things that were ultimately, you know, built into that infrastructure and evolved over time that enabled us to do what we're we're doing, you know, on a daily basis. Everything from, you know, uh, a protocol for the Internet, which is how your Voice images video is broken into little zeros and ones and, and sent through, you know, different networks of servers all the way down to there's a system where you could register a domain name and, and there are a lot of services that tap into that all the way to, you know, the, the standard for how email needs to be sent. But in saying that, there was never actually a protocol for how financial transactions can actually occur in this infrastructure. And actually, one of the, the first individuals who tried to address that was Elon Musk. Elon Musk was a, 
a PhD student uh, at Stanford at the time. And when he created PayPal with Peter Thiel, he had this vision that you would be able to, in a very standard, in a very uniform way, uh, expedite the way that transactions occur. Right now, if, you know, today, if I buy something online, most people think that the transaction is occurring instantaneously and it shows up in your, in your bank account or your credit card, uh, history. And in a sense, it does. That's a record. But in actuality, it takes two, three days for that to actually clear the banks and, and arrives that merchant, which if you're a small business owner, every day counts. Yeah. Especially as we've seen in the last year with COVID. Um, and in effect, even Elon Musk sending rockets to the moon, making electric cars that are crazy. It's like out of the Jetsons when you see them, you know, Teslas nowadays. He still couldn't figure out and get the financial system to come online and ultimately to move from this analog way of doing business and into the digital world. And it really took until the last few years where there was this sense of evolve or die in with financial services. And they saw, you know, the early rumblings and sort of the, the movement of robo advisors and ultimately individuals now choosing to use things like E-Trade or Robinhood, Wealth Simple, Wealthfront, et cetera, instead of actually going to a brokerage. And it started to cut into, you know, their their pockets. And that's where you started to see uh this movement where you had these big CEOs of banks who five years ago were lambasting cryptocurrency as this source of illegal, illicit activity, mind you, the amount of money that crypto on any given year is used for illicit is just a day in the life of HSBC. Uh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, they're now the biggest cheerleaders. You know, JP Morgan not only settles transactions with cryptocurrency with their own stable coin, but they actually have their own blockchain. Bank of America, you know, uh, I mean, there's, there's many, 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 Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs. So ultimately, we've seen this new paradigm shift where, you know, there was always been this, this missing gap, this missing puzzle piece in terms of different standards that were required in order for this internet model to come to fruition. Uh, and ultimately, excuse me, the growth potential of this internet model to actually become scalable and, and ultimately to fulfill what its potential could be. Um, and inevitably, you know, it's, I guess it's better late than ever, 25 years later, uh, we're actually starting to fulfill that, which is really exciting. And, you know, I, I, I many times when I do public speaking engagements on this, I teach my own online class on cryptocurrency. One of the things I make the comparison to is the early days of the Internet. I, I can't tell you how many people told me I'll never be on the Internet. My business will never be on the Internet. I will never have a website. Uh, I remember in the early days, uh, Christian radio stations that would not carry my radio show because I talked about the Internet and websites because they believe that 
websites were only for porn and gambling. And by me mentioning the technology of that on my show, I was somehow like supporting that kind of thing. And um, it brings me back to the days of when I was in high school and I had a Commodore computer that had a you're probably too young to remember this, but it was a computer that you actually. I had one. OK, uh, it was a, it had a cassette tape that connected to the computer and then you'd like wire it to your TV and you'd be able to do some very, very basic things. But. You know, in many ways, you know, we've been through that with cryptocurrency, you know, people being, you know, laughing at, uh, you know, the the external wallets and some of this sort of clunkiness of, uh, you know, you've got to set up an exchange with an exchange in Japan to buy this or buy that. And a lot of it, you know, has been not very smooth, but that's going away. Now you've got, like you're saying the wall street is, is considering this officially an asset class where like everybody should have X percentage in cryptocurrency, just like they have in gold and bonds and other things. Um, it, it's, it's really quickly become uh, something that uh, is now widely accepted. It went from, you know, if you had a, any type of crypto business, Bank of America found out about it, they close all your accounts, regardless of whether those accounts had anything to do with crypto. They wanted to completely just like ban, ban you from their banking platform. Uh, these kind of things were going on. Uh, Facebook, if you ran any kind of ad for cryptocurrency, they would shut down your advertising account and then they come out with their they're going to do their own cryptocurrency. So we've kind of turned that corner. Um, but yet, uh, Ed, do you? Do you still see that like the average Johnny lunch bucket, average American still is not on board with this yet? Are we still in that early adopter phase? Do you think that there uh, there's so much unpackage in what you said, and I couldn't agree more across the board. So first, in the there's when we talk about banks and banks who are adopting crypto, you have to understand that they for decades have talked out of both sides of their mouth. That is how that world works. Whether it's Warren Buffett saying, you know, gold is the dumbest asset you could buy. If aliens looked at the human race and saw that we'd kill each other to dig this shiny metal out of the ground, polish it, and then put it underground again, they would think <laughs> we're the dumbest species in the universe. And then what did he do a year ago? He went out and bought the second largest gold mining firm in the world. So <laughs> they speak out of both sides of their mouth when there's money to be made. Uh, but Bank of America, you know, Brian Moynihan, who's their CEO, in May of this year said that, you know, he reiterated Bank of America does not lend in crypto nor offer banking services to businesses in the crypto world. Less than two months later, Bank of America rolled out their brand new Bitcoin futures trading desk. So <laughs> when there's money to be made, you see how very quickly they, uh, yeah, they changed the the way that they operate. But going back to your your question, you know, there is you know, uh, if you think about what has really held a lot of people back from crypto, and it's still holding true today, even though we've made some great inroads in the last twelve to twenty four months, the the challenge is still there in terms of one, it it has to have an easy way to buy it. Having to go on to, you know, these exchanges, even though, you know, Coinbase here in the U.S. is a now a publicly traded company, it's still, it's not your bank, and it's not as easy as just going into a bank and opening up an account. 
The second is that it has to have a practical purpose. This, you know, there's still sort of a mental blocker for a lot of people when they think about, okay, well, what can I do with this? Not realizing that every single day you're using virtual currency. You're buying stuff online. You're not actually taking cash out and handing it over to Amazon. Many times, people don't even see their money. They get a direct deposit into their bank account, and then they use this dollar figure that they see in their statement to then go and buy things. Um, so in effect, for all intents and purposes, you're using virtual currency. It happens to be in USD. So just getting people to sort of get over that idea, this mental blocker that this is something that is foreign to them in terms of using currency digitally. And then the third piece is sort of this legitimacy. And you nailed it right on the, right on the head when you said there is sort of this, this hangover, especially in crypto that we're facing in terms of, you know, when people think about, you know, cryptocurrency, it goes back to the early days. And that was only 11 years ago. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, one of the first marketplaces was something that was not, you know, in the best public interest. Um, and, and people used, you know, this currency for things that, you know, were, were not necessarily the most moral. But very quickly, those bad actors get weeded out. Just like any other type of marketplace, there's going to be bad actors. Look no further than equities. Just this year, you've had a handful of very large banks get slapped on the hand for doing things that also were not in public interest. So, you know, we've sort of evolved and we're maturing, but don't forget, this is an 11-year-old asset. You go back and you look at, you know, some of the other financial instruments that we invest in, they've been around for decades. So as time goes on, this is going to get, you know, much more standardized. It's regulation and policies already being created. And ultimately, you know, this, you know, time that we're seeing right now is actually one of the most exciting that I can remember. And I've been involved for about 10 years, mostly because these big institutions are coming in. And when they come in, they are laying down the groundwork for how is this going to scale? It needs, you know, the right type of oversight. You need the right type of transparency in terms of how things are operating. And ultimately, it's a great thing um, because, you know, we take we take our economy here in the U.S. very much for granted. But for me, you know, I have a team. Uh, I have nine full-time employees, uh, all staffed overseas. And many of them live in Lebanon. And this is sort of a uh, – Lebanon is a – for some listeners who are not aware, it's a very large Catholic country. It's split Catholic and Arabic, and it's sort of this this odd mix uh, specifically for that area. Um, and in speaking, you know, I, I have meetings with them every day, and they they sort of bring things to sort of perspective when they say we use cryptocurrency because in order to get our hands on the U.S. dollar in the black market it costs us $5 and we can't use our currency that we have here because in effect it's worthless. It's mm. like toilet paper. And this is where, you know, for us, we need to be able to wake up tomorrow and say, my savings hold value as much value, if not more than they did yesterday. And, and there's, 
you know, there's a lot of use case here. Um, and, and sort of this, we're laying the groundwork ultimately for, you know, sort of this next evolution of not only just financial system, because we talk a lot about finances, but when I look around and, and you mentioned before, you know, my background is in the tech sector. Uh, when I look at individuals I know who are starting businesses or I look at serial entrepreneurs, they're not going down that path of the venture capitalist anymore. We're going to take 30, 40% of your company. Instead, they're saying, well, if I need to capital raise, I'm just going to go to blockchain. I'll offer 10% of my business and I'm going to sell it to the end consumers. And those consumers are going to become brand ambassadors. And in effect, I have built a marketing machine that Procter and Gamble can't buy. So and are you saying that they really are to, to unpack that a little bit? Are you saying that they are like creating a crypto and then you can buy into their crypto and that's where the capital comes from? Is that how they're raising capital? 100 percent. Yeah, that and that's, that's, and that's that. And, and, you know, when you talk about these these poor countries, uh, we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago. I just finished a, a college course about Latin America, and it's fascinating to look at how many Latin American countries actually now use the U.S. dollar as their currency, which people that haven't traveled to South America would find it odd that when you're in Ecuador, the official currency is the U.S. dollar. They don't have their own currency because mm -hmm. they're too small of a country to have a currency so they've done what's called dollarization so so el salvador just announced that bitcoin is their going to be their their legal tender at least one of their their official currencies now will be bitcoin and uh argentina is now talking about this as well so it's not just a wall street asset class but you literally have countries saying this is going to be our new official money of our country and that just blows my mind yeah yeah and it's you know these are countries that you know, Argentina, probably one of the worst cases of hyperinflation in recent memory, uh, at least in the last few generations. Uh, another, you know, another country that looks around and says, look, we need to ultimately look at foreign, you know, currencies, foreign assets as a way of stabilizing our economy. And, you know, with the U.S., you know, and ultimately you know, what we're you know, we're still navigating the waters of COVID and ultimately post-COVID and, and trying to figure out how do we keep this economy moving forward. At the same time, when we, you know, are, are spending money to do that, a lot of countries are looking at alternatives to say, should we be concerned about devaluation here? And that's where they start to look at what's our alternative. Is it the yuan in China? Is it Bitcoin? And, and interesting enough, and it's a really shrewd move by El Salvador because Bitcoin not only provides sort of that, you know, that independent uh, asset, there's not a single country that actually issues legally, uh, you know, Bitcoin as a, as a minted tender to their consumers, excuse me, to their citizens. But what it actually does is it draws in foreign investors. And I can't stress enough how many people especially in the crypto world are saying wait a second i can actually now headquarter my business in north america i don't have to go to seychelles i don't have to go to the cayman islands i don't have to you know go to malta i can actually go 
somewhere where I can get on a plane within five hours and be there. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that it that is going to be a boom when it comes to foreign investment in that country. Yeah, and we're and we're seeing like you know with inflation here in the U.S. I don't think we even really know what the real inflation is, but I know I'm seeing it at the gas pump. I'm seeing it at the grocery store. And these South American countries, uh, no, I mean you're looking at Argentina, which is uh, looking at fifty percent year-over-year inflation, which is just devastating. Uh, now, a lot of people, getting back to sort of the basics here, which I know dchain.com is a great training portal uh, for people to learn about getting started with Bitcoin. Uh, one of the problems I've had is just in my social uh, network of people, it started with uh, I was crazy to get into Bitcoin, even even for like a hundred bucks. Okay, I was crazy, uh, but but then it transitioned to well, I wasn't crazy, but now now no one should get in because it's at three hundred dollars. It's it, it'll you know it'll never last at three hundred dollars. It's too high. I'll wait until it goes lower. And now you have the same kind of argument being made, like well, there's no way I'm getting in now. It's almost at fifty thousand dollars. It'll have to come lower. Uh, I. I People have laughed at me when I've said there is no limit to the price that it could go because it's, you know, divisible uh, by eight decimal points. It, it could be in the millions of dollars mm -hmm. of value for one single Bitcoin. And I have literally been laughed out of rooms at social gatherings by people saying that. But math is math. And uh, Ed, I mean, there is no limit. Have you ever made a price prediction? I mean, where do you think the price could go in for people that? I think it's too late what would you say to them look I, I i have made price predictions uh and i usually say look let's let's look at what you know the the quote unquote experts are saying uh look at citibank citibank is looking at bitcoin hitting three hundred thousand dollars by the end of this year which sounds crazy because right now it's about just under 50. But in effect, what they do is they draw, you know, a really interesting case to, you know, gold and how gold skyrocketed around the early 70s when the U.S. disconnected from the gold standard and ultimately draw sort of that that trajectory given demand in, in current market situations. You know, I think that without a doubt, you know, we have not even come close to the heights of where certain assets like, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum. Ethereum is interesting because as of August 5th, Ethereum is now becoming a deflationary asset, meaning you know, while you have a hard cap with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and when it makes its full transition over to this new operating model in, in February, every transaction that occurs thereafter will decrease the supply every single time. Wow. So, you're going to have a shrinking supply, which is that is when I talk about sort of what's perking a lot of institutional people up. That's the big one. Um, so, you know, for me, again, I look at I don't I try not to speculate on, you know, the, the coins and, and what's holding value, because this is it's very subjective for a lot of people. Uh, and, and ultimately, crypto is sort of one of those things that people have an emotional reaction, emotional response to. Something that is kind of unique because if, I were to, if you and I were to talk about REITs, yeah, you might have someone say, oh, that's a prudent investment. I get a nice little interest rate. 
don't want to punch you because you talk about a REIT. Crypto, so how's that, how's that guttural response? Which, by the way, folks, we're talking uh, about real estate investment trusts, uh, in case you didn't know what, what he's talking about there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very exciting. Uh, I love, I actually like rates, but uh, when I talk about sort of where I think things will go and help put things into perspective, going back to, because for me, my investments, and I, I aside from D-Chained, and for those listeners who, the spelling is a little weird, just go to summergains.com. We, we created something just to redirect that's a lot easier for people to remember, Summer Gains. But I also I am a chief investment officer for a fund that we created. And in that, our focus is solely on businesses that are have real commercial value, that solve real world problems, and ultimately are using blockchain in order to facilitate their business or disrupt industries. And similar to you know that example you gave with the, the 90s, you look at Amazon. When Bezos created Amazon, he built a business that could not exist in the world that we were in then. You could not build a store holding three million books unless you were the Library of Congress. Online, you could. Another one was Netflix. This was the one that perplexed people. Oh, yep. I'm sorry, did, did I lose you? Oh, nope, nope, nope. I'm here. I'm sorry about that. No worries. Yeah. So so in um, those, those two examples, again, we have industries where, uh, you know, uh, the average person, including myself, you wanted to watch a movie, you'd go down to a movie rental place and you'd rent a, a movie and you better have it back within a day or two or you'd start paying penalties. And then they came out with these machines, these red boxes, which were kind of cool. But the same thing with, uh, you know, uh, people said that that can never go online and never work. And then with bookstores in particular i you know i'm an author i i love books i'm always around books and i you know i was one of those that kind of scratched my head like ah eh, is anybody going to buy a book online i mean don't you want to like page through it and make sure that you know it's a book that you want and and this sort of thing and, and a lot of people you know said that but you've got to have a little bit of and i always look at it like this like well you know maybe i wouldn't ever buy a book online but obviously other people might so you know it's it is interesting though with crypto how people dig their heels in and it's not just that it's not for them but it's never going to happen I've, I've never run into so many people that have become evangelists against something that they have no interest in whatsoever it, it's like atheists that it's like okay you're an atheist you don't want to believe in god that's fine but then they like start podcasts and start writing books about that you should be an atheist too and it's like okay i get evangelism evangelism for god but not evangelism for believing nothing and there's some of these people become evangelists against cryptocurrency to where they spend so much time and energy on forums, on Twitter, uh, just saying it's not going to work. It's eventually going to collapse. And I don't know what drives those people. But uh, in any case, um, yeah, all of these business models that everybody said wouldn't work. But let me get into I've got a bunch of emails that are coming in here. Let me give out the phone number, too. In our last 10 minutes or so, sure. um, if people want to call in with questions, I'm going to put the phone number up on the screen here really quick. All right, if you're watching on the video feed, the phone number is now on the lower corner of your screen. Also on the audio feed, 646-716-4041, 646-716-4041. 
Anything you want to add there, Ed, before we start taking questions? Yeah, just be careful saying anything about people who are anti-crypto. Uh, this is filmed or recorded at night, and Peter Schiff usually wakes up from his, <laughs> his slumber, from his, his coffin. So he, yeah. he goes on his... Uh, it's about that time he's about to call a market crash. That's right. Call the last nine of the last two. Yeah, so. that's right. That's right. Hey, so uh, some of the email questions. I'm going to take email questions, folks. Jim at ChristianMoney.com. A number of them are already in my email box, but callers will go first. So 646-716-4041. Okay, I knew this question was going to come in. I was going to ask it also. They want to know about Ripple XRP, like an 80% move this week. Mm. Lots of good news coming out of litigation. It seems like that the uh, litigation is, is the discovery is going well for the lawyers for Ripple, basically, who are arguing that they are no different than Bitcoin and other cryptos. The government was withholding a ton of documents where it, it appears like they would look like fools uh, trying to argue that Ripple is not like Bitcoin and other cryptos. And these documents now are ordered to be released. That has driven up uh, Ripple by like 80 uh, percent. Word is for maybe a settlement coming or a dismissal of the case what say you ed yeah i mean you hit all the major points there uh you know this is something that and for your listeners who are not as familiar ripple is a ripple is an actual company based out of uh, california it's a financial tech company they created a cryptocurrency that would be used uh in order to settle transactions around the world uh and ultimately this, this case is about two executives who wound up you know getting sued by the SEC for uh, for actually offering an unregistered security uh, like you said I mean this this is one where I think it was doomed from the start uh, the initial case was actually uh, issued a day before the prior chairman of the SEC stepped down and the new chairman Gary Gensler came in and it was pretty obvious that Gary Gensler, who, you know, in his prior life before you know, chairman of the SEC, was actually a professor at MIT talking about cryptocurrency and teaching <laughs> cryptocurrency. And I think he knew this is bad. This is not a good. And he's made comments that this is not a good use of SEC resources. And once the SEC lawyers were able to depose the two commissioners from the SEC that came out as whistleblowers, and talked about how the SEC willingly acted with opaque and very vague guidelines for how to define Ripple. Because after about five, six years of Ripple operating, the SEC decided then to take action. And these commissioners said, look, it was pretty well known internally that we were, we were classifying this just like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And this was completely mishandled. So this, the case does not look good. And, you know, I've, I've made a few videos that I've put out on, on YouTube talking about this case. And um, yeah, it, it's one where if you look at the largest stakeholder, this chairman of SBI Holdings, very large financial service company, ironically said, he not only thinks that Ripple is going to win this case, but very shortly after they win the case, they're going to file for an initial public offering with the SEC. So the wow. SEC is going to have to sort of have to have that bitter pill to swallow. So then the comp you're, you're saying like the company itself behind Ripple 
goes public as well, sort of like another uh, Coinbase type of company? Yeah, after SEC settles this case, yeah. and in my humble opinion, it looks like they're going to, uh, they're probably then going to get the the notice filing from Ripple Company, it's called Ripple Labs, to then go public. So that's a little nice little end of year treat. So I've done some of the math, like in this second part of this question, this person's asking about like Ripple price predictions. So one of the fun things to do would be to say, if you were to take, you know, Ripple's potential market cap and compare it to, say, Bitcoin and then start like interpolating those numbers and saying, like, well, where could a, a Ripple be if it were a fully matured coin like a Bitcoin? Like if we, you know, and a lot of people are mistaken thinking that that like Ripple is going to be worth 50,000 because Bitcoin is worth 50,000, not understanding the difference between the market caps. Did you ever kind of run those numbers and have any kind of wild discussion about where that price could go? Uh, you know, a, a coin you could get into today for a buck 30, where that could be someday down the road? Uh, so I have, and it wasn't too long too long ago that it was in the 30 to 40 cent range. Um, so just that exponential appreciation that we've seen in the last few months has been fantastic to watch because if you're, if you owned Ripple before January, when Coinbase decided to delist Ripple and you lost a ton of money, I am thrilled for those people to be able to, to recoup what their investment was. And, and there's a lot of ways that they can get their money back, but I think a lot of people were caught off guard. Um, it's a very different asset than, than, uh, than Bitcoin. Think of Bitcoin in the same way that you would look at a precious metal. Scarce, finite amount of Bitcoin that will ever be mined and extracted versus an asset that is more like Swift, which is that processing software and processing framework that uh, all credit cards and debit cards run off of. And ultimately, what I envision is that Ripple will have some type of uh, economics that will either remove Ripple from circulation so that they can limit any inflationary pressure, or uh, they figure out some way to do some like digital dividend. Uh, and I think that will spur a lot of excitement and, and hopefully get them back into you know the mix of, of where they should be, which is one of the top large cap cryptocurrencies. I haven't really looked around online to see what other people are predicting, but I mean, is it, could it be worth hundreds of dollars at some point in theory? One ripple. Sure. It sure. I mean, it, it sure can. It I mean, prior to this, uh, this lawsuit, it had made some massive inroads in terms of being the default you know, blockchain solution for these very large banks around the world. And in doing that, now you have your hands in the mix of facilitating trillions of dollars of transactions. So if we're just looking at that combined with some type of incentive for people to actually own Ripple, again, it could be some type of digital dividend. It could be a burn, which is you just a portion of every transaction removes it from uh, circulation. You could easily hit $100 plus with Ripple. But <clears throat> I think speculating yet just before we know too much about what the SEC is going to do 
because the government could ultimately could surprise us and and of course they certainly want to wouldn't want to yeah and i know these are the these are path. these are big numbers but 100 billion is from what i understand the max supply of ripple xrp which compared that to 21 million of bitcoin so there's the disparity as mm -hmm. far as people and you know i'm all for people being excited about ripple i own ripple full and fair disclosure to everybody but mm -hmm. uh, you know the, the, the there seems to be like sort of another kind of group of uneducated people online thinking that like apples and apples you know and i i'm glad that was a great uh, uh explanation you gave so uh one more question here because i know we're, we're running short here on time uh dogecoin so i i never took dogecoin seriously um i always thought of it like kind of the what the, the kind of goofiness that elon musk gets into when he's on with joe rogan and he's smoking marijuana and he's just saying stupid things just to kind of tweak people i never really thought of it as serious i know it started out as a meme coin as a joke no maximum supply so i never really never really thought of it as being serious and then we've got news just before we go uh, live today uh mark cuban saying uh best coin as far as a medium of exchange and you know i don't know mark cuban i know a lot of people like him i think he's you know interesting guy but he's been all over the map too on on crypto over the years i know he's now an enthusiast uh for bitcoin but surprised to hear him weighing in now uh promoting dogecoin and you're a serious guy do you take dogecoin seriously no <laughs> i i'm very surprised so the short answer is no uh i think it it's it drew a lot of people into the space a lot of people were interested certainly it, it it made you know headlines in April May when the prices were going up, but the issue that I see with Doge is is ultimately the issue that I saw 2016 2017 where it brought the wrong type of investors in. All right, it brought a lot of people in who looked at cryptocurrency just like they looked at a slot machine. It was a gamble. They don't need to know how it works or anything about it. Put your money in pull the lever back and, and hope that it hits and you pick the right <laughs> meme coin. And the problem is, is that that it just, that didn't end well there. And the people that did that in April, May got completely wiped uh, in, in May and June of this year, because ultimately there's, there's no actual utility. Either you have a utility or it's a store of value, just like what Bitcoin offers. So in, in my opinion, I think it's a, a distraction. Um, and ultimately, I think it, it potentially creates a liability for the industry where uh, it's going to bring negative press, negative headlines. Um, and it just there there's other places that where I think and I would love Mark Cuban, who is one of the big investors for the, the largest blockchain gaming community out there called Axie Infinity. Why don't we start promoting things like that, Mark? So I'm a little disappointed. So, you know, sometimes but. some of these guys, you feel bad for them because if they're not, you know, if people aren't talking about them, they have to say something to get people to talk about them. And, um, you know, that would just be like when you're in high school, like how how crazy could you dress to be the buzz of the hallway? And you just feel sorry for some of these guys. They have exactly. all this money, uh, you know, own, own the NBA teams. But the, and that's why you can't take a lot of what Musk says. A lot of these um 
media hogs, you can't take a lot of what they say seriously because they're just trying to get the spotlight back on them. Take the last minute and tell us all about every way people can follow you on social media, your website, the course that you offer, uh, all they all the ways they can connect to you. Yeah. Yeah. And first and foremost, before we run out of time, Jim, I appreciate you having me on and your listeners for, for tuning in. I know crypto is can be one of those topics that uh, can seem a little bit taboo and I appreciate everyone keeping an open mind and just listening over the last few minutes. But, you know, for us, you know, D-Chained is, is a passion of mine, something that I created. I grew up, you know, in a blue collar family in New York and I saw, you know, a big issue around me where those people who got involved in crypto and ultimately, you know, it didn't work out during the last bull run. And I wanted to create something that solved education, which I, I saw was one of the big issues facing, you know, my friends and family. And excited to see that this thing has evolved and has sort of taken its own life. Um, come check us out at summergains.com. A little bit easier to remember. So summer. And let me make sure I'm games. understanding what you're saying. Look, it's the word summer. And then is it games like the Olympic games? Gain. Gains like muscle. But me, I'm going the opposite way. I have two little kids. So G A G A I N S. Okay, so gains like gains. like his stock gains. Okay, summer gains. G A I N S. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the problems with audio. It's like I, I'm I'm one of these people. Like the street I live in starts with F, so I have to say F like in Frank, F like in Fred. So we got to make sure people. But what I'm going to do yeah. is I'm going to put a link to in the description, and then anybody listening, if you don't, if you can't find his website. You can email us if you can't find it in the description. We will give you the direct link, the letter D chained, C-H-I-N-E-D dot com or summergains.com. And then lastly, any social media or Facebook or you mentioned YouTube, you're on YouTube. How do they find you there? Yeah. Come over YouTube.com backslash D chained. So. And we're putting out videos just about every day, uh, all free. So uh, we try to make it really easy, use examples that people can relate with. And ultimately, this is something that we do ultimately to help people get into the space, learn whether you invest or not. That's your business. We want to help sort of demystify a lot of this for you. So come check us out. Yeah. And by the way, folks, I, I've looked at their site and uh, there was some outfit out of South Florida, Ed, that was selling like $25,000 Bitcoin class. I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I would be I mean, I, your your courses are affordable. There's one of them's like 20 bucks a month or something. I mean, so this is like something for the average person to be able to get into uh, to learn about cryptocurrency. I have my own crypto course, but I always tell people I don't have all the best ideas. You know, take 10 courses from 10 different people, but don't spend $25,000 on one of them. Uh, but in any case, uh, great to have you with us, sir. You're very knowledgeable, and we'd love to have you back every so often to uh, give us your latest. We'd love that. Thank you again, Jim. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Uh, wow, great guy. First time he's been on with us, and uh, um, I did not know who he was. He was one of those deals where I got the email, would you have him on? And we get so many requests to, to put people on the show. And, you know, when it comes to financial 
I'm a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit uh, squeamish about bringing somebody new on because I just don't know who to trust anymore. But uh, we checked this guy out and he seems like a solid guy. He's got a great uh, looking website and it looks like it's affordable. It's not something where they're asking you for like 25 grand uh, to learn about Bitcoin. Sounds like some good information and uh, something to do, even if you've taken my course Take his course, too. There's there's, uh, you know, certainly a lot of good information out there uh, from a lot of different sources. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, great show lined up for you next week. Maybe this week we'll start the Wednesday podcast. We'll see if that works out uh, for the second uh, you know, day of, of broadcasting for the show. All of that and more. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris live. Thanks for joining us. So long, everybody.